This is a Federal News Network podcast. In an agency as large as Veterans Affairs, with a third of a million employees, there's no shortage of things to go wrong. Often it's whistleblowers that point them out, often to the Office of Inspector General. Now a bipartisan bill that passed the House would ensure continuance of a policy that every VA employee receive training by the OIG to learn how to report alleged wrongdoing. Here with more on the VA Office of Inspector General Training Act, one of its original sponsors, Illinois Democrat Lauren Underwood. Representative Underwood, good to have you with us. Thank you so much for having me here today. And looking at this bill with respect to Veterans Affairs and the Office of Inspector General, it seems to have provisions for both employees and for the OIG. Let's talk about Veterans Affairs employees for a moment. What would it do with them? So I introduced this bipartisan bill. It's called the VA OIG Training Act with Congressman McKinley last year to codify the OIG training requirement to protect the VA employees who report wrongdoing, and obviously honor our veterans. So for the VA employees, there's currently a requirement that they complete OIG's training, but it hasn't been codified into law. So that means that the next administration could reverse the policy. And we want to make sure that staff are equipped with the knowledge and skills that they need to spot and report fraud and abuse happening within VA programs. And does it say anything about the nature and content of the training itself? So the training is already being deployed, um, and we are not changing that training requirement. So what we're doing is just ensuring that the training includes information about, again, the mechanisms for reporting fraud, waste, abuse, and other wrongdoing at the VA. It offers protections for the VA employees who report the wrongdoing to the Office of the Inspector General. And then the training includes information on how to strengthen the Office of the Inspector General programs, operations, and services to ensure that the OIG provides effective oversight, it reduces fraud, and protects taxpayer dollars. And just a question on the protection for VA employees. There are statutory protections for all federal employees at this point. What would it add here for Veterans Affairs employees, if anything? Oh, it doesn't. So this is just a training so that every VA employee understands the current law and the protections that are in place. What we don't want to have happen is that this training requirement be removed by a different administration who has a different posture towards federal employees and then those individuals who are interested in in reporting fraud, waste, and abuse no longer have the knowledge on how to properly do so, right? And then that opens them up to retaliation and, you know, other kind of harmful actions in response. Right. So it would reinforce their knowledge of the protections they do have. That's right. And is there any evidence that, say, during the Trump administration, which was a little different maybe than the current administration, there was any reduction or suppression of that training? Do we know that? I don't know that, but I believe that federal employees offer a great service to the American people and certainly to our veterans. And as we do the work to make sure that the federal employees have an excellent workplace, we want to make sure that they are trained and skilled and empowered to be able to, you know, fully um, do their work in offering the federal services and benefits to our veterans. And I think that this kind of knowledge is really important, particularly in an environment that can become very politically charged. We're speaking with Illinois Congresswoman Lauren Underwood, and you mentioned that the bill also has provisions to strengthen the Office of Inspector General itself. And my experience with VA OIG is they're not bad right now. 
That's right. And so the requirement is that the VA provides the training to their employees. And obviously, then there's a benefit for the patients that are receiving care from the VA because we know that accurate reporting and certainly early reporting of issues can save patients' lives. It protects their colleagues and ensures that the veterans actually get their needed benefits and services. Um, we also know that it helps the VA because we're saving taxpayer dollars. Every dollar that is spent on oversight initiatives through the Office of the Inspector General at the VA yields approximately $21 in return. And so, you know, with those extra resources, if you will, the oversight initiatives ensure that every veteran gets this world-class care that they've earned. And the status of this bill then is passed in the House and introduced a version in the Senate? That's right. So you do have that senatorial kind of side. And any chance in your sense of the situation of that being enacted in this current session? So Senators Maggie Hassan and John Bozeman from Arkansas uh, introduced the Senate Companion Bill last summer. And so because we were able to get such a strong bipartisan vote in the House, um, we are really optimistic that there is a path forward for prompt Senate consideration before the end of this calendar year. And while we have you, if you've got a moment, there are a couple of other bills that have your fingerprints on them. Well, the Veterans Rapid Retraining was signed into law in June, which we're very excited about. I was at the signing ceremony. I introduced that legislation with Congressman Danny Davis and Senator Dick Durbin. Um, And so um, that one has been signed into law. And then we're obviously working hard on the Honoring Our PACT Act, um, which has passed the Senate. And we look forward to it coming uh, back to the House this summer for um, passage. So then we can get that signed into law as well. That's to help veterans living with the effects of toxic exposure. Right. Yes. And uh, and getting back to the one on education. So if people got an unsuccessful education under VA benefits from a for-profit or unaccredited institution, they can still have that benefit for a proper institution? That's right. You know, we know that there has been uh, a lot of uh, students who have been defrauded by institutions that have lost their accreditation or had improperly presented their credentials. And so there's, you know, throughout my time in Congress, we have been working to help people be able to move forward with their careers and the credentials. And so we are very excited about this Rapid Retraining Assistance and Restoration and Recovery Act so that these education benefits can be restored if a veteran has been ripped off by an unaccredited institution. This mirrors some of the activity that you've been seeing from the Department of Education, where they announced a big student debt relief for those individuals who had received degrees from unaccredited institutions. Like We're talking about really the same general population, but this specific bill applies for veterans, whereas that executive action was for the entire universe of affected individuals across the country. And given your interest in veterans' affairs affairs in general, are you watching what's going on with respect to the electronic health record? And uh, what's your assessment so far of Secretary McDonough this far in? Well, you know, I've been really pleased to work with Secretary McDonough. You know, we've had an opportunity to have several uh, conversations. I've been over to the VA for meetings. I'm a nurse, and so I focus a lot of my work on the Veterans Affairs Committee on healthcare issues and making sure that we have high-quality gender-specific care. On the healthcare issues in particular, we have been strongly supportive of ensuring that we have 
full ability for advanced practice nurses to practice to the full extent of their education and training um, and making sure that the certified registered nurse anesthetist can be able to practice to the full extent of their education and training. As you may know, Tom, that the VA at the end of the Obama administration allowed nurse practitioners and nurse midwives and clinical nurse specialists to practice without that kind of physician oversight, but the nurse anesthetists were left out. And so we have really been pushing VA to take action. Um, They have all the authorities that they need to expand access to care and make sure that veterans are not having to wait for procedures. (laughs) And that's what this is about. And so we're making progress on that front. And then also, I was very proud that my VA physician assistant and nurse raise act was signed into law as part of the fiscal year 22 budget deal. So the federal funding law that was signed in March, which allows physician assistants, and advanced practice nurses to get a raise. So we're we're firing on all cylinders here. Illinois Congresswoman Lauren Underwood is co-sponsor of the VA Office of Inspector General Training Act. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello, I'm WIPA CEO Shane Canfield, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Lessons in Leadership. I'm honored to be joined by Angie Bailey, founder and CEO of Ananda Life. Angie has a remarkable career in public service, beginning as a GS2 clerk typist with the Social Security Administration. And over the next 40 years, Angie steadily worked her way up through the government, ultimately becoming the Chief Human Capital Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. She's been recognized with presidential rank awards by two administrations for leadership, innovation, dedication, and commitment to the country. Angie, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Shane. What a pleasure to be here. Angie, you've made quite a name for yourself as a leader in the federal workforce. Who was the first person you remember looking up to as a leader? And what about them inspired you? You I often think about this because, you know, sometimes we think of the people that we look up to the most as being somebody that throughout our career has, you know, been at the highest levels and all. But, you know, I've got to go back to honestly, whenever I was 10 years old, and uh, I remember I really wanted to play Little League Baseball on a boys team. I was the only girl. And interestingly, it was the women who would keep saying to me that, no, I couldn't play. And then one day, whenever I was there to sign up yet again, uh, there was this guy, his name was Delbert Beiser. And uh, I remember he had like red hair and he had a wad of tobacco in his mouth and greasy overhauls and everything. And he said, you know, I'll take her, I'll take her on my team. And, you know, just looking back on that, there's so many leadership lessons and things that I just really admire about him. And actually, I thought about throughout my entire career, he took a chance on somebody he didn't know. He um, put aside whatever conscious or unconscious biases that he might have had about having a girl on a team. He treated me the same, Uh, whether you know, if I wasn't performing, I got benched just like the boys. I got no special treatment. And, and, and he was just really honest with me and he just included me in everything. And so looking back on it, you know, really it was Delbert Beiser, our local mechanic in our little small village that was, I think, my inspiration for going on to, I hope, become the leader, um, you know, that, that I wanted to be. I'd say half of the guests on this podcast have had similar stories where they reach back to either childhood or young adulthood. And I, and I think as leaders, 
it's really incumbent upon us to keep that in mind that that what we say and do admit it, especially in the younger ages really can have a lifelong impact how would you describe your leadership style and and how's that developed over time i would say that the one word that describes my leadership style is that i care um I guess that's more than one word, but I care. Uh, I, I've always cared about the mission. I've always cared about the people. I've always cared, you know, about making sure that that they had what they needed or that they were developing the way, uh, you know, that they aspired to develop. And I tried to take this approach of not treating people the way I wanted to be treated, but instead treat people the way they wanted they want to be treated. And I think that that really kind of developed over my career. You know, I started out just like most leaders do where it's very results driven. It's all about the bottom line. You need to make sure that you get everything accomplished because, you know, that's what everybody's looking for, the goals, the metrics, et cetera. But I think as you mature and you go along, you start to, to your point, you draw back on those early childhood days or early adult young, you know, whenever you're a young adult and you say, you know, I think that there's a little bit more to this than just the bottom line. And so over time, I really began to, I, I think, see a much bigger picture and the entire ecosystem, if you will, and how the people themselves fit into all of this. And that ultimately, at the end of the day, it was all about the people. And so, I, you know, I think my, my maturity allowed me to then shift and focus more on the people than, than so much on results and bottom line. You've been recognized with two presidential rank awards two different administrations. You founded your own company. Tell us a little bit more about your background from the beginning and and how did that lead you to where you are today? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting, like you said, that I started out as a GS2, a social security administration. I mean, what I really wanted to be was a criminal prosecuting attorney. That was absolutely my dream. I sometimes joke and say what I really wanted to be was a mafia don, but that wasn't going to work out. So, you know, had to be a criminal prosecuting attorney. But, you know, I had to get a job to pay for college. I, you know, it wasn't in the cards that I was going to be able to go to college without a job. So I applied at the social Security Administration, or I'm sorry, at the unemployment office, and lo and behold, I got a job at Social Security. I didn't even know it was federal, to be honest. Uh, from there, I went to the Department of Defense, and I found this, this career field called labor and employee relations. And honestly, it was as close as I was going to get to being a criminal prosecuting attorney. I didn't go on to be a, a criminal prosecuting attorney, but I went on courtesy of the Department of Defense to get both my bachelor's and my master's in leadership, because the whole study of leadership, I just find incredibly fascinating. Um, you know, from hi- historical to current uh, current times, I just, it's just something that's just really fascinated me. And so I just, I would say I'm a lifelong learner of leadership. And then I would say some of the other things that got me maybe where I am today is I never really said no to anything. If people asked me to take on a new challenge, even if I wasn't sure I was going to be successful at it, I would say, you know what, not sure this is going to work out, but more than happy to give it a try. And it always worked out. But I think giving things a try and just not saying no to opportunities is what really led from one position to the next. I feel like I was always rewarded for just stepping in or stepping up and taking on the challenges that sometimes no one else wanted to do. Angie, thanks so much for joining us today. 
Oh, thank you, Shane. It's such a pleasure. I, I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Thank you. This has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm CEO of WEPA, Shane Canfield. Looking forward to talking to you next time. <coughs> Cough and cold season is here. Introducing Ricola Max Throat Care, Ricola's most powerful drop yet. It's the best of Swiss nature wrapped around a powerful liquid menthol center for maximum relief from your worst cough and sore throat. Maximum nature for maximum relief. Try the new Ricola Max now, available in the cold and cough aisle. Ricola. It's in our nature. Hey, hon, what you doing with your fun? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.